Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. Opening verses to the gospel according to John are rich in meaning and understanding as he talks about the word that was in the beginning that was with God, that was God. And a little bit later on in this passage, we read that the word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, as we work our way through, we recognize that the Apostle John is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word that was in the beginning, that was with God, and was God. But the irony is that We read about the Word in the Word. It was uh, Martin Luther underscoring the importance of uh, Scripture during the Reformations uh, who recognized that the Word of God exists in three different forms. There is the spoken word, the word of God. He spoke creation into being. We read those same words in the beginning that we find in in John's gospel in the opening of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. So we have the spoken word of God. We also have the incarnate word of God who was in the beginning, who was with God, who dwelt among us. We also have the written word. The written word of God. Which is where we read about the word who was with God and was God in the beginning. This year I had uh, set my sights on working through the Gospel of John. I love the Gospel of John. It is important for us to really draw close to Jesus, to understand who Jesus is. And I think that the portrait that John gives us of Jesus is just amazing. But as I, as I told you uh, uh, previously, that I had, had gone to this uh, uh, theology conference last year, and one of the conference uh, uh, workshops that I went to was on the future of the church. Who would lead them, and what will they know? Who will lead the church in the future, and what will they know? And the presenter uh, Uh, recalled being at a conversation where some pastors went up to a seminary professor and said, Dr. Gillespie, when are you going to provide the churches with better prepared ministers? 
To which Dr. Gillespie replied, as soon as you, the pastors, start providing me with better prepared students. And so I thought, you know what? What if I use the gospel of John as a vehicle to uh, preach and teach theology and doctrine? Because what we believe is important. And why we believe it is important. And so I wanted to take this opportunity this year to do a deep dive into some theological truths, doctrinal truths, that are carried by the Gospel of John. And I want to begin this series with the authority of Scripture and how important it is for us to understand its authority and what do we do with that authority. I threw you under the bus again, Ralph, in the first service and your fifth grade Sunday school boys. And we used to have a, a coffee service between services where you could have coffee and donuts and mingle and we're going to do that again hopefully soon but one Sunday uh, Ralph sent off his little fifth grade boys with their clipboards to go around and ask the adults two questions the first question do you believe that the Bible is the word of God to which every adult smiled and said yes of course well thank you very much question number two why well, look at the time. My coffee's getting cold, and Mr. West will not teach Sunday school anymore. No, that's not true. That's not true. But what is it about the authority of Scripture that we need to really wrap our minds around? Isaac Newton said that God has written for us two books, the book of nature and the book of Scripture, and the two are complementary. As we study the book of nature, we learn about the world in which we live. As we study the book of scripture, we learn how to live in the world that God has given to us. And it begins with recognizing its authority in our lives. Now, when we were working our way through uh, uh, the book of Hebrews in the past, at one point I shared with you that uh, I had read in a commentary that, that each of us have four significant influences in our lives. And those influences uh, have a priority. And we need to be intentional about establishing the priority of those four influences in our lives. Two of them are external, two of them are internal. The two external authorities, influences that we have in our lives are Scripture and the culture in which we live. And anybody who thinks that they are not influenced by the culture in which we live are fooling themselves. But I so appreciate having Scripture as an external authority, and that's where my understanding of the authority of Scripture comes into play. 
Because I believe that for myself, that the word of God is the first and final authority in my life with regard to faith and life practices. That scripture, the authority of scripture, it is the first and final authority in all matters of faith and life. It is external to me. And I appreciate that because I need to be held accountable because I am really good at justifying anything that I want to do. Well, you know, it's not really going to matter. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, it, God's not paying that close attention. And after all, he's just a pretty good old fella. And it's not really going to matter how I live my life. That's what I'd like to tell myself. But when I go to scripture, I get a different story. How I live my life is important. Who I am becoming is important. And so scripture is that external authority through which I filter my thoughts, which ultimately affect my feelings and my volitional will, how I choose to act. I want to have that as a counterbalance to the world in which I live, because there are other messages out there that are inconsistent with what I find in Scripture. And so by saying that I recognize the Bible as my external authority in my life, that means that I am explicitly or implicitly rejecting some things. So by saying that the Bible is the authority in my life, I am going to reject anything that seeks to invalidate Scripture. If someone comes up to me and says, you read the Bible, that's, that's, you know what, this is a pretty amazing book if you stop and think about it. It was written over a period of about 1,600 years, starting back in about 1450 B.C. Now, that's when the first five books of the Bible were written, what we call the Pentateuch. Our Jewish friends call it the Torah. Uh, and uh, there's a little bit of confusion and, and controversy over the book of Job, some people think that Job is the oldest Bible, uh, oldest book in the Bible, that it actually even predates the first five books. But it's a hard book to date because there are no historical references in it at all. Now, some would argue for, uh, for a later dating because the book of Job quotes Sections from the Psalms, almost verbatim. But I want to ask the question, well, how do we know that the psalmist isn't quoting verbatim the words from the book of Job? So we've got 66 books written over a period of 100 years. The last book written somewhere between uh, they say 70 A.D. and 100 A.D., written by John. The Gospel of John was the last book of the Bible to be, to be written. And uh, uh, the oldest 
piece of scripture that we have is a fragment of the Gospel of John that was found in Egypt and has been dated to 90 A.D. So we have 66 books written over a 1,600-year period with an incredible consistency from start to finish telling one story. Now, as people approach the Bible, they come to it with all kinds of, uh, of ideas and, and, and notions. And, and some people, they, they want to just dismiss it right out. You can't trust it. You can't verify it. Who says it is, it is the, word of, the word of God? But as I look at it and I read it, I recognize that consistency and that movement of the Spirit through the book that helps me to not only understand the world in which I live, but it helps me to understand myself as well. Now, some people just jump right into the first uh, few chapters of the Bible and say, oh, come on. You guys can't even figure it out amongst yourselves. Tell me, was the, was the, the Bible says that the world was created in six days and on the seventh day, God rested. Are we talking six 24-hour days or are we talking six epochs or whatever it is? And some people, they are convinced that the, the Bible says that the world was created in six days. Therefore, they were six 24-hour days. And if you extrapolate the time, that would mean that we live in an earth that is about 6,000 6, years old. And other people say, you know what? I can't believe that you buy into that because we have rocks that, are, that have already been dated as millions of years old. And what about the dinosaurs and this, that, and the other thing? And, and that's the, so you have a young earth theory and you have the old earth theory and the people on the outside say, you can take your theories. Uh, I don't want any part of it. You know what? When I look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, what I recognize is that it is, it is not God telling us how he did it, but that he did it. And I remember having a conversation uh, uh, with, a, with a woman. We went to a, we went to a presentation uh, by, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, uh, come to me a minute. He's a, he was a law professor, Hastings Law, up in, uh, up in Berkeley. And he wrote a book called An Easy-to-Understand Guide for Defeating Darwinism by Opening Minds. Uh, it, it was a it was a brilliant, uh, a brilliant uh, lecture. Anyways, we're talking uh, before and I was talking with this uh, with this uh, uh, older woman. And I said, you know what? At the end of the day, uh, it doesn't matter how God did it. What's important to me is that God did it. Now, having said that, I believe in a God who could, if he wanted to uh, create a world in six 24-hour periods and make it look like it was six million years old. I also believe that he could have taken uh, a six million years to put together an earth that looks like it's 6,000 years old. To me, it, it doesn't matter. I wasn't there. I will never know this side of eternity. God can do it and could have done it any way that he wanted. And this, this older woman looked at me and she said, honey, he did. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, you're right. He did it. 
And so when we look at the first 11 chapters of Scripture, they're not out to teach us science. They're not out to teach us geology. They're not out to teach us history. It is a book. The first 11 chapters are there to help us to understand that God did it. Actually, Exodus was written before Genesis. Exodus takes the nation of Israel into, into the promised land that is peopled by a bunch of pagans. And they need to have some answers when they start hearing these things about people who are worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars, the river, the trees. And the first chapters of Genesis make the point, why would you worship an aspect of creation when you can worship the creator? So those first 11 chapters tell us that that God did it, not how he did it. And, and then it explains what went wrong and how broken we are. You don't get very far into the book of Genesis until you have some pretty nasty stuff going on. But then you get to chapter 12 and from chapter 12 to the end of the book of Revelation is God's plan for salvation to reclaim and redeem the universe, not just humanity, but all of creation. And I find it interesting that the questions that are introduced in the first three chapters of Genesis are answered in the last three chapters of Revelation. A pretty amazing book. And the consistency is incredible. And so anybody that says, I, 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 I want to reject the Bible as the word of God. I'm going to reject that because I'm going to hold this to be the first and final authority uh, in, in my life with regard to life and faith issues. I'm also going to reject uh, any teaching that says, well, this is a, it's a subjective, uh, a, a subjective word of God. It's not subjective, it is objective, it is external to myself. A subjective approach to scripture puts the objectivity on the reader. I get to decide which parts of the Bible are the word of God and which ones aren't. So there are people who read the Bible literally and there are people who read the Bible subjectively. And the, the people who read it subjectively criticize the literalist. How can you read the Bible literally? Come on. Well, I find myself in a position where I would not uh, say that I was a literalist or a subjectivist. What I want to say is that I'm a contextualist, that I'm reading the Bible and trying to understand it for what it's actually trying to say. But if I had to favor one over the other, I would probably favor the literalist over the subjectivist because at least the literalist is trying to learn something. The subjectivist is just picking and choosing. Well, I like this bit. I like that. It's like cafeteria Christianity. I like this bit, that bit. I don't want that. Keep those Brussels sprouts away from me. Actually, I like Brussels sprouts. <clears throat> but I'm going to reject Anything that, 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 that uh, wants to invalidate Scripture, I'm going to reject anything that says that Scripture is, is subjective. I'm, I'm also going to reject anything that, uh, uh, that is contradictory uh, to Scripture. Because, again, I know myself. 
And there are things that I would like to do. And I think, oh, God, come on, it can't be that bad. But I read in the scripture, it says, David, don't do that. Do this instead, and your life will flourish. So if you're going to contradict the scripture, or if you're going to be subjective about the scripture, if you're going to try to invalidate scripture, then scripture is not authoritative in your life. And if scripture is not authoritative in your life externally, what is? I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be the cultural influences around you. Two external influences, culture, or for us as, as Christians, the Bible. Two internal authorities, the Holy Spirit confirming what we read in scripture and my own spirit, my own conscience. You know, you've heard the saying, the, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Eh, I don't know, my spirit can be pretty weak. But there's a battle that goes on within me. You referred to that in the children's sermon today where Paul is wrestling internally because what he wants to do, he doesn't do. And he finds himself doing the very things that he doesn't want to do. So it's important for us to acknowledge those four influences, those four authorities in our lives and prioritize them. Because if we don't intentionally prioritize them, the world will prioritize them for us. So the Bible, the authoritative word of God in my life for all things with regard to life and faith. There was a doctor and there was, a, there was a, a, an article that came out of, uh, out of Chicago many years ago called The Inerrancy Doctrine. And it was a paper on the inerrancy of Scripture. And again, people get caught up on this thing. And it, it's like, well, it, if, the, if the Bible is, is, is not totally inerrant, we can't trust it. Well, how do you define inerrancy? I read the article, uh, the paper, very, very carefully. And... Uh, and basically, in, the, in this article, they write about the, uh, the fact that the, they say that the Bible is, is without error in everything that it touches upon in the original autographs. Well, I'm sorry, what? Well, the Bible is inerrant in its original autographs. That means the first copies of the books that comprise the 66 books of the Bible. And I said, who has those? No one. No one. The earliest portion of scripture we have is a little scrap dated 90 A.D. from the book of John. We do not have the original autographs. Why would anybody create a hill to die on based on something that they've never seen? So I would say that the Bible is without error in all that it seeks to teach us about how to live in a relationship with God and how to live with one another. And why do I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God? Because when I follow it, life works a whole lot better. Life makes a whole lot more sense to me when I embrace the precepts of the Bible. The authority of Scripture in our lives. 
at the end of the day, people are going to challenge you on it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what you think. And we're finding ourselves in a very precarious time. <laughs> Did you know that the Bible has sold more copies than any other book in the world? Did you know that the Bible has been given away more than any other book in the world? Did you know that the Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book in the world? Over 700 languages have the Bible completely translated into their language. Over 1,600 uh, have uh, the New Testament translated in, in, into their language. So it's the number one bestseller. It's the number one gift. It's the number one most translated. It's also the number one book stolen. More Bibles are stolen than any other book ever published. Now, they argue because they're available in churches and they're in hotel rooms. And uh, some churches are taking Bibles out of their pews because people are stealing them. I said, take them. Just read it. But take it. I'll replace them every week. That would be great. But at the end of the day, the only person that you need to convince that the Bible is the authoritative word of God is you. You and me, we need to understand it. And if we believe that it is the word of God, what do we do with it? We, we live in a, in a time where uh, each and every one of us has two, the, two, two theologies. Uh, we have a word-based theology and we have an experientially-based theology. You experience God differently than I do because God has a different agenda for my life than he does for yours. And I'm good with that. But what happens is that, is that our experiential theology, for some people, their experiential theology begins to eclipse their word-based theology. And when that happens, we have a theology that is anecdotal, therapeutic at best. And we need to be able to step back from that and make sure that our experiential theology does not conflict with our word-based theology. Understanding what the Bible says, because what the Bible says matters. When I was going through my father-in-law's files, he left me some files. And I came upon an article that was written in 1999. Uh, the greatest story never read. And it starts by uh, talking about Jay Leno walking out into his audience and asking questions like, uh, 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 what, are the, what are the four Gospels? Uh, who were the apostles? Uh, what were the first books of the Bible? And, and getting answers all over the map. But then he says, who were the four Beatles? Bam, 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 bam. Everybody knows that one. Biblical illiteracy in our world is on a decline. And it's not just in the world, but also in the church. When I did my doctorate, uh, I did it. I was told that uh, uh, when you write your, your doctoral dissertation, the longer your title is, uh, the shorter the book list is. 
because you gotta, you gotta read. So you, the longer the title, narrow focus, the fewer books. So the title of my uh, uh, doctoral dissertation was Addressing uh, Biblical Literacy in the Context of Family Worship Through First-Person Narrative Sermons. Yeah, so some of you remember for a year, every month I came out as a different Bible character, started with Noah and ended with John. Uh, uh, and, and one of the books that I read uh, for that was this book by Stephen Prothero. Uh, he's at Boston University, Religious Literacy, What Every American Needs to Know and Doesn't. And he advocates that we should return to the four R's in our educational system, reading, writing, arithmetic, and religion. And, uh, uh, and, to, and to prove his point, uh, he put together a, a little quiz that I'm going to give to you. So get out your bulletins and your pens and paper. No, I don't. I don't want you to, I don't. You can keep score for yourself. If you know the answers to these, great. And he has answers. He has questions here for other religions as well. I'm only going to ask you the Christian questions. Name the four Gospels or as many as you can. Where, according to the Bible, was Jesus born? If you don't know that one at this time of the year, you've been sleeping. <laughs> President George Bush, uh, George W. Bush, spoke in his first inaugural address of the road to Jericho. What Bible story was he invoking? What happened on the road to Jericho? What are the first five books of the Bible? Do you know them? What is the golden rule? And no, it's not. The one who has the gold gets to make the rules. That's not it. <laughs> God helps those who help themselves. Is that in the Bible? If it is, where? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Does that appear in the Bible? If so, where? Name the Ten Commandments. Uh, list as many as you can. I actually have a lot of fun with this one with my colleagues, with other pastors. I draw them into a theological conversation and start talking about the importance of the Bible and the importance of the Ten Commandments. And then I spring it on them. So can you, can you, can you tell me what the Ten Commandments are? And the, and the most common response I get to that question is, in order? And I do believe that there's a, there's a rhyme and a reason for the order uh, of, of the questions. So I, I don't know where you are on that. I hope that, uh, I hope that you aced that. Um, you know, I've, I have been, you know, the importance of Scripture and getting into the Scripture is, is, uh, uh, is, is something that's very important to me. What, I don't think we can, if we want to know about the God that we worship, God has revealed himself through his word and through his son. And if we want to know the son and we want to know the God, the father, the primary source material has to be the word of God. Otherwise, we will find ourselves adrift. And there are four things that we need to do with the word of God. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. And we need to meditate on it. To get the word of God in here so that it can filter down to here and work itself out here.
And this is the beginning of the year. Read the Bible. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then read it. If you've read it, read it again. Because you're going to learn something every time you read it. There is a depth, a depth to Scripture that is amazing. And you'll read something and you'll go, wow, I've read this book a couple of times. I never read that before. How did I miss it? Ah. Again, the only one that you have to convince is yourself. It's got to start there. If you determine that the Bible is authoritative in your life, and you make it a priority to understand the Bible and read the Bible, I believe the Holy Spirit will do the rest. You don't have to convince the non-believer. But if you're not convinced in and of your own heart, you'll have little, if anything, to say to the rest of the world. Read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. For in the beginning was the Word, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And with the help of the Holy Spirit we can read it and we can understand it. And don't worry about the parts that you can't understand. And I love the quote by Mark Twain who says, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that cause me concern. It's the parts that I understand and just don't want to do. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Now, yesterday was the first, today's the second. There are a bunch of programs out there that will help you to read through the Bible in a year. I put a link in last week's Word on, Wiz Word on Wednesday uh, for, for a link, and I'll do it again this next Wednesday. I would encourage you to do that, to get in there and read the Bible through, through in a year. If you believe it is God's authoritative word to you in all matters of, of life and faith, then, then we need to read it. And, and if you say, you know what, Pastor, I've tried. I tried. I just can't do it. You know, I, I, I get through the, the first couple of books and then I get into Numbers and Leviticus and I crash and burn. Okay, then how about just doing the New Testament? Just read the New Testament. There are programs that you can just read the New Testament in a year. And if that, even if that is a bridge too far for you, then, then let me encourage you, because we're going to spend a lot of time this year in the book of John. There are deep theological doctrinal truths in, in the gospel of John. And so if, you're, if you struggle with reading through the Bible, if you struggle with reading through the New Testament, then just focus on the, on the gospel of John. And don't just read it once. You can read it in about an hour, I think. Uh, read it over and over and over again. And just ask the Holy Spirit, help me understand what I'm reading. Help me to apply it in my life. Help me to draw closer to you. Those are prayers that God loves to answer. At the end of the day, at the end of the year, you will have such a richer understanding 
of the message of the gospel of John, a closer relationship with Jesus, and you will be much further along in your spiritual journey, having spent time in the authoritative word of God. Let's do that together this next year and see where God leads us.